0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to season two, episode seven of the DMU Politics, People, and Place podcast. In this episode, lecturer in human resource management Beth Miller and special projects officer Derek Mensah talk with DMU students Joe, Lena, Julia, Murphy, Charles, and Jemima about what is allyship. They discuss what allyship means to them and in a wider sense, and they dive into ways in which we can enhance allyship within DMU.
1: Okay, well, hello and welcome um, to this podcast where we'll be discussing allyship. I am Beth Miller, a lecturer in Politics, People and Place, and the module leader for the HRM module, Managing Equality and Diversity and Inclusion. I would like to start by saying thank you uh, to everyone here for agreeing to participate in this podcast that will discuss allyship and how allyship can be developed at DMU to support students of marginalised groups to feel included. It is hoped that by students of it is hoped that by students of all races feeling that they belong, that all students will fully engage in lectures and seminars. And in turn, this will help to bridge the current attainment gap. The current figures we have at the moment um, on the attainment gap, uh, and these come from 2018 to 2019, is that that students obtaining a first or a 2-1. It's 81.1% of white students that achieve this level. 65.5% of BAM students and worryingly um, 56% of black students that are achieving this level. Um, I want to start with a quote uh, from the book by Nova Reed that says, I imagine one of the reasons people cling to their hates and prejudices so stubbornly is because they sense once hate and prejudice is gone, they will be forced to deal with the pain. So what is allyship? Well, basically, when a person of privilege works in solidarity and partnership with a marginalised group of people to help take down the systems that challenge uh, that group's basic rights, equal access and ability to thrive in our society, It's an integrable part of anti-racism work and is is challenging the taken for granted and explicitly naming the problem. So stages of anti-racism are listening, unlearning, relearning, and taking a responsive action. So that's just a bit of a background to what we're going to be discussing and talking tonight. But before we start, I'd like to ask uh, our panel to introduce themselves. Uh, Can I start with yourself, Julia? You're on silent, Julia. You're on mute. (laughs) No, we still can't hear you.
2: Okay, I'm just gonna take. That's me better. <laughs> uh, so hi, I'm Julia she, her, a black mixed cis gay woman. I'm studying business and HR. Uh, I'm a third year student.
1: Thank you, Julia. Derek.
3: Hello. Um. So my name is Derek Mensah, and I'm a special projects officer here at DMU, looking into student experience and student engagement.
1: Thank you, Derek. Uh, Murphia. Hi, I am
4: a graduate from DMU from the psychology undergraduate degree and then the human resources management master's degree. And I've worked with DMU as a brand ambassador in the business and law faculty. And I've spoken with um, Beth's third year class about allyship. So this is very exciting for me.
0: Thank you, Murphy. Yeah. Jemima. Hi, I'm Jemima Diodu, I'm currently a communications and engagement placement student with the Department of Politics People in Place and I study international relations.
1: Thank you, Lena.
5: So hi, I'm Lena Sharma, I'm a current um, third year human resource management student.
1: And Joe.
6: Hi, um, I'm Joe, I'm on the single honours HRM course and I'm in third year.
1: Thank you very much, everybody. So I'm going to go into the first question that I'd like us to discuss this evening. Um, basically, I'm um, will ask uh, i going to ask you uh, what you understand about allyship and how you think it could be developed here at DMU to support the work of decolonizing DMU, Derek, could I come to you first, please?
3: No problem. I was hoping I'd be able to listen to some answers first. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I, I mean, for me, you know, firstly, I think sometimes when we put specific words on certain attributes, we'll make it this special thing. Um, 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 you know, So, you know, being, you know, allyship, you know, I guess the breakdown is just being <laughs> a decent human who allows others, to, you know, the space to be who they are and equally uh, ensuring they're not being limited, you know, by any structures in place. And, you know, yeah, I feel like it's part of being a basic, there is a basic human quality, so to speak. But, you know, so I think, yeah, for me, that's that's how I describe being an ally is just, yeah, ensuring the people around you in the spaces that you occupy, um, uh, you're not contributing to any kind of systems of limitations um, in allowing people to be who they're supposed to be or they want to be. Um, yeah, yeah.
1: Thank you, Julia. Mm,
2: so I would say allyship for me is something a step further. So I would say being a decent human being is a baseline and then someone that calls themselves themselves an ally should actually be actively uh, challenging the status quo because if we don't partake in any action, nothing will change really uh, because people in power will still not care about making a change. And I feel like allyship is something that you do rather than what you identify as so you have to acknowledge your privilege then use it uh, to kind of help people that don't have it and also acknowledge the fact that you as well have bias as a person that is in position of power in some way uh, and um, as you said in the beginning unlearning is a big thing of a big part of that uh, and listening to other people's experiences and trying to challenge own bias, but also speaking up when you hear something happening around you.
1: Thank you, Julia. Lena, what would you like to add to that?
2: I think Julia just basically hit
5: the nail on the head perfectly with what she just said. Um, I was going to counteract what Derek said, and I would say that it's definitely a baseline, what people think an ally is. An ally, it's very easy to call yourself an ally in today's day and age, but how many people are actually willing to promote and encourage that movement and do anything they possibly can to be you know, to, to, as Ad Julia said, to go against the status quo. And I think it's all about recognising privilege and recognising that you are in a position where you are able to be an ally. Um, so in order to be able to be a successful ally, you have to be able to encourage and promote diversity and be able to do anything you can to remove racism in the work or in any sort of situation.
1: OK, thank you, Lena. Joe?
6: So my understanding of allyship is that so there are opportunities to grow and learn about ourselves and other people whilst building confidence in others and by doing this you recognize there are systematic systematic inequalities and you have to realize the impact that they've had on different people
1: thank you joe Murfia.
4: um i agree basically with what everyone said and i just think it's a case of going and doing a lot of research for yourself um, and that's what being an ally is is not relying on everyone else to feed you this information and then to just hear it and think okay i've heard it i'm an ally now but it's for you to go and understand for yourself why these things are occurring and to understand the sort of internalized views from many different perspectives that you know have built up this whole system that we're trying to break down and it's like everyone's saying actively trying to break it down and not just you know actioning things that come up as they happen but you know starting at the root you know where do we need to go from here to break down what's already been built whilst also looking after people who are in more vulnerable positions and who are more vulnerable to you know attacks of some sort um or you verbal comments or anything like that. So it's the whole thing. It's not just one aspect of it.
1: Okay, thank you, Murphia. And Jemima? Um, I think
0: an important part of allyship is being a effective listener. I feel like being active is so important, but there is a tendency that when you understand your privilege and you want to help, you may put yourself in a position to be a saviour, more than somebody who's listening and trying to actually help properly the demographic you're trying to enable to do better in society and um, we I feel like more and more often we see more god complexes and savior complexes as opposed to effective listeners people who listen can comprehend the problem and go okay now help me understand how I can help you and not okay this is my chance to sweep in and be a savior for a bunch of people so I feel like being an ally at its core is being an amazing listener to a to a group of people who have never been listened to.
1: Okay, thank you. I'm going to stay with you, Jemima, if you don't mind, uh, and ask you, uh, mm. what do you think are some of the barriers uh, that our people, our, our students of colour face uh, here at DMU that perhaps prevents them from fully taking part in their lectures, in their seminars and any societies that we we offer? Um, I think
0: one barrier I feel like a lot of them, um, I can really only speak for like Black Africans, I don't know what Asian people go through and things like that, but in terms of Black African people, I know that our home life and our culture is um, one that can be tumultuous at times. It can be one where there's conflict in the household and it really impacts people's ability to go on and learn or go on and have effective social relationships, not only with your peers but with um, your lecturers and things like that. Some people may have households where, you know, you respect your elders that's it it's a co- it's a common thing i see with my friendship groups and it means that a lot of people don't feel confident to speak with their lecturers on a more calm level day. for instance i found it hard to just refer to my lecturers with their first names and i know like with my white peers that wasn't something they found difficult because they're kind of used to the whole susan and john kind of thing they can meet a parent's friend and be like oh hi susan that's not how I do in my culture I know I go hi uncle hi auntie and they're not even my uncle or auntie and it can make it difficult when you try to go to a school setting and they're like oh just call me Beth just you know just call me Claire and it's kind of like miss like it's kind it's kind it's a difficult thing and I think also a lot of the times our home lives just make it difficult for us to learn effectively and some people are doing degrees that they don't want to do because their culture has imposed those kind of things on them like um, during one of my placement workshops uh, I was with a particular student and um, she wasn't black but um, she was doing we were doing a swallage activity and we were trying to analyze strengths and weaknesses it was with Julia Reeves and they were she was using um, collaging to do that and I looked at her piece of work and I said you're really good at art like you you look at like this is fantastic and I was like um can I ask like do you take art she said no I I do politics and I said how come you're doing politics instead of art she said oh because my parents don't like art like they don't think it's something you can get a degree with and so I after the session I reached out to her and I said um I feel like if you go search with DMU or DSU see if there's any art societies or things like that you can join and it did allow me to see that I was privileged even though I'm part of a minority group I was privileged enough that I could do IR and I chose to do IR because it's my choice but there's other people who are minorities and their parents still hold on to the whole doctor politician lawyer thing she didn't have that opportunity to go and explore art a skill she's amazing at and I hope that she's going to do the societies, but it's still that barrier that a lot of them hold on to, the poverty mindset that, you you know, you need to go and do these big kind of jobs, otherwise you're not going to get money and things like that. So I feel like those are two kind of big barriers we have, like culture and just a poverty mindset of if you don't get a particular job, you won't get money and you won't make it.
1: OK, that, that's really fascinating, Jemima, and that that's certainly been educational to me listening because it's things I perhaps not thought about from, you know, my, my white privileged perspective. Absolutely. Thank you, Jemima. Murphia.
4: Um, so for me, I feel like a big barrier in turning up to lectures or wanting to join a society or just basically do anything that's part of the university experience is this whole false allyship thing that we're talking about so it's all well and good to say you know you have some sort of board or council that looks out for equality and diversity and inclusion but you know when you're seeing a society that's full of white people that's literally an active barrier to wanting to show up because it's like Jemima saying there's different mindsets and there's different ways that people were raised so then it's It is so, like, it's fearful to come into this, like, group of people that you know were not raised the same as you. You know that they are not going to have the same mindset as you. So you might enjoy, you know, doing something so, so much and you might, you know, go to university with this mindset of I'm going to join the society. This is my passion. You know, I have my educational side. This is what I'm going to do for fun. And then you go to the taster session and you think I am never coming back here again. I these people do not understand me. They do not have the same sort of banter as me. They just not understand life the same way i don't want to party like them or you know there's just all these barriers in terms of like socially how we behave and then if you are met with a group of people who are very different that's going to occur and when we look at the newest census england is still very much white it's like 80 i want to say 82 percent, but i could be very wrong so it's in the 80s so it's still very much a white country so that is an active barrier wherever you go it's going to be an active barrier. Leicester is one of the most multicultural cities in England and that's still an active barrier in joining societies and I know for me that if I didn't do the sport I did prior to university I would not have come to my society. There were conversations that were not meant to be had but it was just how people were brought up they thought that these things were okay and it was like you had to partly understand okay that's internalized but then how do you accept that at the same time and it's because uh, inclusion and diversity only goes so far in making sure people are like we're saying unlearning these behaviors it's the same as showing up to a lecture and your lecturer not understanding exactly what you're trying to explain to them regarding your home life and why there's barriers in you being able to complete work like there's a lot of us that have to look after our siblings and go back home so frequently and you know we have such an active role in the family and sometimes sorry sometimes that can also be a barrier in getting your work done because there's those expectations from family because we are you know so grouped together and it's not as individualized as western cultures are there's we need to be there for our family and when these things occur I've seen so many stories on Twitter of lecturers not understanding when things come up and thinking that you know there is that privilege of being able to walk away from these hard things in life and that there will be some sort of safety net and not everybody has that there's a lot of times where families are working you know with one one family member being the main person bringing in income and you also need to help universities not just being able to come and learn. And it's not just showing up to lectures, you know, there's a lot of people that have to do so much work outside of university in terms of a job, home life, everything. And that's also not understood by lecturers to the extent that I feel like it needs to be. And then it's the same with your peers in seminars and lectures. You feel maybe if you want to say something, so say you're discussing this in a human resources management lecture, Maybe there's people that won't want to show up to this because they feel like they're not going to be heard by their white peers in their predominantly white, you know, university. So there's always that fear of you're not going to be understood. But that comes down to the education that people are being given outside of their studies in terms of inclusion and diversity, which everyone seems to be so big on, but they're not correctly teaching.
1: OK, thank you very much for that, Murphy. And you did touch uh, on another point that uh, is important. It's, is there an existence of white privilege here at DMU? Because I know DMU try incredibly hard uh, to try to overcome this. But from what you're saying, it, it still needs to go that little bit further. We still need to think that actually it's it's prevalent. Okay, yeah, so thank you for that,
4: Murphy. On sort of a group perspective, on an overall perspective, when we should be getting more individualized into certain groups and how they build that mindset.
1: Okay, thank you. Julia, is there anything you'd like to add to that? Uh, yeah, so first
2: of all, I agree um, with what was said and um, that there is a big difference between diversity and inclusion, like true inclusion. Um, Because we may have um, a lot of people of color uh, on campus. We may have uh, technically some uh, activities that encourage them to uh, participate in those spaces, but true inclusion means that they wouldn't feel that difference and they would feel welcomed with who they are without having to kind of code switch, without having to kind of put their uh, culture aside to fit in Uh, and I feel like creating that space for sharing experiences and listening is very important for that true inclusion where people are not just like, okay, come join us. Sure, we don't care that you're different, but listen, oh, this is how you're different. And it's cool. Let's just talk about it and help us understand our differences, because that's amazing that we're all different. Right. Um, So that's one thing. And other kind of barriers um, I think we have is that the university culture in general is very Rooted in white culture, so obviously, um, especially when we're talking about our Western UK, even American context, uh, I feel like a lot of the traditions and the structure and all of that and history, obviously, uh, is all very much rooted in white culture to the point where um, even though we're, we have more people of color coming in, uh, it doesn't feel for them like something that's created for them it feels like you're coming into a space that's someone else's kind of, and I feel like that kind of prevents that inclusion as well. And uh, what girls said about um, what's happening in lectures, I feel like what goes hand in hand with that university culture is um, that the curriculum is, it n- might not be racist, but it teaches a lot of things from a very white perspective, again, rooted in those Western, in Western history and kind of erasing, Everything else outside of, uh, you know, the old things we know uh, and not really expanding on different cultures, different countries and um, not appreciating those differences. And also a lot of lecturers don't really realize their own bias and some microaggressions and say things that they don't even realize are wrong to say. And sometimes when you're a person that it directly affects, it's really hard to speak up. That's why also we need allies again. Um, But sometimes you hear something and you're like, well, it shouldn't be said, but it's not um, obvious enough for me to make a big deal out of it. And I don't feel comfortable speaking up right now because it's a lecture and I respect them, or I'm just shy and I don't want to speak up in front of the group. Um, So I feel like kind of creating some more information, uh, informational content about and just curses and, generally that sort of thing about my progressions um, would be very beneficial um, as well as kind of just encouraging people to, again, just um, challenge their own biases uh, because they don't even realise that some of the things they say are wrong or exclusionary and make other people not feel welcome.
1: Okay. Thank you. That's really quite inclusive and certainly something um, for, for thought. And to think about what you've said, um, Joe, is there anything you'd like to add? And then we'll go to Lena.
6: Yeah, um, I think obviously we see Leicester as a very multicultural society. Um, some people might feel like they can't express their own opinion, um, but they feel should they they should feel like they should be able to say what they want. Um, I think we live in an environment where we listen to each other. We find ourselves in so many social situations. You're allowed to say what you like and but we just have to accept that obviously there are many cultural barriers um that might affect people from saying certain things and obviously um the phrase of obviously white privilege i'd say there is a lot of diversity and in- inclusion but it, as we've said in seminars week in week out we come across the same phrase white privilege because of i've had this uh, better education this that and the other yeah
1: Thank you, Joe. Lena. So, yeah, following on from what Joe said, I think it's important
5: for me to acknowledge that I am an Asian woman, um and I can only kind of speak about it from a generalist perspective. But I definitely would say that fear is something that I think is quite normal in most situations is, you know, I think the majority of us here either do human resource management or we have some sort of, relation to human resources and we're very much educated on diversity and inclusion so I feel like having us like having a conversation is terrific because we understand that there is a problem and we're trying to find a way to overcome it however I think if we were to go to a department that has absolutely no correlation to diversity and inclusion I would love to see what they would say in the circumstance because I feel as though all of us are so educated that we understand that there is a problem and even if it's a minor problem we still have to find a way to overcome it now I think fear is such a big thing in any sort of circumstance you know even coming to university there are some days where you know even as an asian woman i feel like in our seminar groups myself and joe i'm very comfortable i'm very confident however i would you know, i'd love to speak to somebody who's a little bit more shy and how they would approach the circumstance and how they would feel um because i think fear is so prominent i think going into a society where you see majority of white people even as an asian woman i'm a bit like what do i say you know do i tell them about my home life do i tell them about my hobbies because I'm not the same muslim um so I think fear is very much prominent when it comes to allyship and I think that people are going to be hesitant to do certain things for probably a very long time because the society that we live in has made it very normal to have your own groups of people that you naturally would go to so getting stepping out of that comfort zone is never going to be easy for anybody and I think that is always going to be quite a big barrier for any individual whether that be a white individual an asian individual a black individual we're all very much comfortable with who we know so stepping out of that I think will be very difficult for anyone because it's just the element of fear
1: OK, thank you, Lena. Uh, and yes, I, I think it's that fact that goes back almost to the quote um, that I made, at the, uh, that I gave at the beginning, that um, after we've come to realisation, it's the, the fear of going forward and, and how we go forward on that. Uh, and this is where I, I'm going to move now. Um, you've all shown that you've got an understanding of allyship uh, and you, you you've expressed the barriers uh, that perhaps are still uh, still here uh, uh, and definitely he- still here from what you've said within DMU, despite uh, a lot of work being done by decolonising DMU. So what I'm going to ask you now is what do you think uh, the university and decolonising DMU could do to support um, uh, allyship and, and to support uh, people and students of colour in the future I know you touched on a few of the things Julian I'm going to come back to you to see if you've got any more that you'd like to say but um, that's what I'm going to be asking you to focus on now so if I come to you Murphy, what would you advise uh, myself and Derek that maybe we could take forward from um, our discussion tonight I think
4: that the main thing is sort of looking at the group that is in De Montfort so looking at the students that are currently there <clears throat> so looking at the you know average student that does come through in the average stats per year and also looking at the lecturers and professors and all the you know staff that are at the university and thinking about how to best Approach them. So the only way I can think of this is to come back to my dissertation, and it would be a case of they'd have to do some sort of intervention and do some sort of study, and you know look at their current student, current staff, and try and come up with some sort of questionnaire, some sort of interview, something to check the current mindset of students and staff to be able to actually put something out that's effective. Because a lot of the time when um, practices are put out and when there's Difference sort of teaching opportunities in terms of inclusion and diversity where people have internalized views but they you know aren't aware of them where people believe they're an ally because they have a friend who is this race or that race or because you know they're married to someone of this race or you know they've got mixed race kids so you know that means they're no longer racist which is something that you can google there's studies on it it's very interesting so I think it's making sure that people are being educated correctly because when people are in this mindset of i have this this and this so i can't be racist you know i have a black friend i can't be racist they're often not going to listen to when you come at them from an inclusion and diversity angle and try and talk about allyship and try and talk about internalized views they won't listen because it sort of feels like an attack and they don't understand that it's having a friend of a certain race does not not make you racist tolerating a certain race does not not make you racist we have to think about the internalized views and we have to come at it from an angle where we also understand that a lot of these internalized views were not sort of actively thought by this person growing up they didn't sit there and come up with this idea on their own it was fed to them by the society that they're in and it's a way of coming at that in a specific way that doesn't always blame the individual because there's there's times where we just inflict blame where I we could be educating. It's not our responsibility to educate though. It's the responsibility of organizations to to educate and it's to come at it from that angle of this is where your your mindset lies we're not saying that you sat there and you thought of that the way that you know you can research and then you've come up with your own opinion that we're, no one is saying that that's how that came up and that's not to say that's not how it can come up people learn in so many different ways and that has to be understood when we're trying to break down these barriers where it's so difficult there's so many things that are out there we've been researching you know glass ceiling racism for so so long and a lot has changed, but very little has changed when you think about day-to-day what actually occurs and the way that people feel and the fact that people aren't actually, actually able to do what they want. So more needs to be done. That's just what I'm trying to get. More needs to be done and it needs to be done more precisely from multiple different angles and it has to be targeted at the right people. So it's not just one one thing that's put out and you know it's not just one inclusion and diversity week, but it's actually... Pulling these people out and educating them effectively.
1: Okay, thank you very much, Murphia. Um, Joe.
6: Um, obviously, the project it recognises inequalities, and in order to decolonise, you have to have that discussion with people, and you have to research whether that's through like a questionnaire or any other practical intervention. You have to have those difficult conversations with people. You have to listen to criticisms from other people. This then creates a valuable discussion to enable better outcomes for everyone.
1: Oh, um, Jemima, what do you, would you like to add? Um, so I feel like in terms of us being
0: able to effectively tackle being a better ally and having these kind of discussions is. Um, with my job currently, so I have to promote things. I need to help with student engagement through our social media. And I've learned how hard it is to get students to come to an event you've been promoting for about two weeks. One thing you learn is that it doesn't matter how much something benefits people, they are going to make the choice to come. And you cannot force anybody to do anything, no matter how fantastic it is, no matter how fabulous you dress it up as. At the end of the day, people are making a choice to come to something and they may not come. And that is something that we just all have to accept and um, the second thing is that I'm part of the anti-racist reading book club that one of my previous lecturers Ben Whitman created and it's an amazing book club where we have discussions about race and racism and we see that consistently the turnout is quite low and when people come they're like wow the discussion was amazing I didn't know it was like this and we're like yeah we're trying to tell you guys it's not just a book club where you just read the book and then that's it like we, we talk from cultural appropriation, blackface. We talk about the things going on on social media. Like We have amazing conversations. And one thing I've been trying to put forward through in my job is that there are certain things you need to take it and drag it into the classroom. You need to take it and drag it into the seminar. You can't wait for people to say, OK, yeah, I'm finally going to go. Realistically, they're not going to go. And we've been facing this whole thing with turnout, not only just at the book club, but with so many events I've been part of, they're just not going. No matter how fun, and Beth, you know this, you know how fantastic some events are. They just don't go. And I feel like um, even when we look at the tribunal, more people would have come if now that they have the hindsight to know that the tribunal was an amazing event. When it comes to having important discussions about being an ally or talking about race and racism, I can't wait for you to go make that decision to go learn about it. We need to drag it into the curriculum. We need to drag it into the classroom because um, like Lena was saying, there's certain courses they're not going to touch upon race and racism. That's just how we're set up and race and racism intersects everything regardless of what we're looking at and there's just certain things unless I put it in the classroom they're not going to learn and students they have this kind of thing where they need a taste of it before they decide they're actually going to take that step and do it I, that's just how people are we need a taste of something before we do okay I'm gonna go we need to hear from somebody else it's actually really good go Let, let's listen to this conversation let's have let's do these kind of things I feel like sometimes waiting for people, not pushing them into the deep end, I'm not saying that, but sometimes waiting for people to make a move may take a good couple of years. It's like we see even with the older generation, a lot of them they'll be like, it wasn't like that in my time, we've moved on. You've decided to get a phone, you've decided to get laptops, you've learned how to online bank, but stopping saying a particular word, you're not going to do because that's not how it is in the olden days we can't do that you it's a case of we've had to force people to not say it we can't just say we'll wait till they stop saying the word no we said that's it you can't say it and i feel like that's the same approach we need to take with these kind of discussions is drag it into the curriculum drag it into the classroom we're going to talk about it i know you're scared i'm going to be a scaffold for you i'm going to help you voice your opinion if it's a case of put your hand up or we have an online forum where you type in your response and it's anonymous and then you can say your opinion like that that's fine it's cool but there's just certain things you just have to drag it in and baby steps what we've been baby stepping for a little too long
1: now that that's kind of my approach with it thank you so much jemima uh lena That has motivated me in such a deep way that I feel like I'll be able to say something
5: better now. So I think, com- I completely agree with what you was saying. I think that what I would say is that is we, as a university, probably one of the first universities to actually bring it into the classroom, which I think is so important nowadays. Like we're encouraging people. We talk about so many different things as part of our course. And I'm pretty sure Beth, you mentioned that everybody in their first year does like this like reflective kind of like learning about referencing and learning about how to do all that sort of stuff. Everyone has the same module at the start of the year. If i'm being completely honest with you how useful is that module like we all have to do it but what happens if the topic that we had to talk about could instead be we write about reflective writing about managing equality and diversity and we can kind of find a way to incorporate it into our work because i feel as though as jamima said voluntarily nobody's really going to do anything voluntarily you know no one has for the past how many decades it's about taking the approach to saying we're not going to allow this to happen anymore. So this is what is going to happen. And a lot of people, we're in an education facility, a lot of people have come here to be educated about a specific thing. If they leave being educated with more things, they're probably more inclined to have a better university experience. I can tell you right now, as a human resource management student, I know that this was something that I was gonna be, you know, embedded into my journey. I knew I was gonna learn about it. And I was excited to learn about it because I'm very much interested into it. But I'm pretty sure somebody in architecture or in, you know, art, et cetera, et cetera, they're never gonna learn about this they're never going to be exposed to the depths of it until they're dragged into the deep end um, the workplace and they could experience something in the workplace that they could have been educated about a university and I think that will also benefit the university in terms of employee experience in terms of you know how everyone you know, finds university they've learned so much more in that short space of time than they would have had they not been educated so that is my personal opinion I completely agree with Jumima, and I think that we should bring it into the classroom.
1: Thank you very much Lena. I can see Derek was nodding quite a lot when you were speaking there. Uh, Julia. Uh,
2: I also agree with all of the above. Uh, what I wanted to say uh, before everyone else said it as well is that we have to target the right audience because uh, it's up to, it's an optimistic scenario when we're waiting for someone to show up but let's be honest people that are here are in the same informational social bubble. We talk about these things we know about these things because we care about these things and people that it doesn't affect or have no idea even some people that I would expect that know some terms or know how to behave because they're more or less in the same social bubble they sometimes surprise me that they don't know because they've never been taught that because that's something you have to learn on your own because it's nowhere really to be found unless you're actually specifically looking for that information and why is it not taught it's literally the basic information we have to have in the curriculum if we want people to do better because if they know better, they will do better because that's going to be required of them. And some people that don't really care about the issue, they will live the rest of their life, not even knowing there is an issue because no one ever named it to their face. That's why if we don't drag it into the classroom, if we don't put it in the curriculum, if we don't decolonize what we're teaching, uh, instead of just trying to uh, make some points outside of the class, some people will never see them because it's not what they're interested in, because it's not something that really connects to their work connects to their studies um and i just feel like uh yeah I, I i just agree that we have to uh do something very concrete and target the people that are not in that bubble that already knows it because people that will join societies people that will look at the decodizing the dmu podcast or any resources that we create to kind of help and educate as people that have the will and energy to educate uh, is going to target people that already want to do better and not really the people that are the problem. That's why we have to make those people realize that they are the problem. Obviously, not in a way that makes them feel attacked because it's going to be counterproductive, but just kind of step by step. Uh, it's a big step, but it's still, you know, a baby step, really. Because <laughs> we've been baby stepping for way too long. I agree with that. Uh, but still, for us, it would be like, a big leap, but for some people that would be the first step in their baby steps. But still we have to take that for them because they will never realise it's a step they need to take. So,
1: yeah. Thank you very much, Julia. I mean, you've all said some really, really poignant things that have come to clear for me tonight there. I mean, I've learnt from you definitely this evening Uh, and yes, I'm taking on this point of the baby steps that you're you're picking up on. Um, Before we close this session tonight, I'd like to hand to Derek now who perhaps Derek, you could summarize some of the points um, that have been made tonight, if you wouldn't mind.
3: Thanks, Beth. I think you've given me the hardest job um, um, because a lot, a lot of great stuff has been said, um, but I try my best to kind of conclude in, in a nice story. I think it is it, quite clear from what you guys have shared today. Um, there's a something that I love and I was kind of trying to, I tend to say, you know, community is easy, but then you guys today made me add another word to that. Diversity and community is actually easy because people are there. Does that make sense? You don't have to do a lot to get diversity. All you have to say is come here. So actually, institutions bragging about diversity is no you you don't deserve anything for it. All that means is people can come to where you, you get you give people the chance to come in. Now, where the hard work actually lies from what you guys have said today is about inclusion, which is actually really about connection. OK, so and, and so that's the link, you know, diversity, inclusion, community and connection. That, you know is is understanding actually what is just happening by the status quo and what requires in, you know i guess delicate work you know so if we are into a new room if we don't do anything in that room we don't connect right so going back to the question that then followed around you know what we can do what, what are the limitations that students have that limit engagement um and in my line of work and i think something that as jemima spoke from her experience you know when it comes to student engagement, you know you can do whatever you want. If students don't want to be there, they don't want to be there. And for me to get students to even do anything, there's three main things that's required, which is are they able to actually turn up? So going to some of what Mafua um, said about you know some of the cultural limitations that then uh, you know makes it hard for you actually to be there because you've got other things you have to do or you don't understand that and they one explained that well this works this way and that intricate understanding that is required by institutions to understand that you know and that's once again the inclusive inclusive element of what people have to experience. So you've got that that nature of, you know, are students able to, um, are they actually aware? Once again it goes back to the point i is saying you know, now that they know what's there, they're like, oh well now we know it. We didn't know it before. You know, so equally with this work on race and inclusion, well, if we are then talking about it, we increase that awareness, you know, and not hiding behind a conversation, but being real with it. And then lastly when it comes to the third element of student engagement is willingness. You know, now that they know that is happening, they know that it was really good actually they want to be at the next one, they have a greater willingness to be there. And they eat the same thing with diversity and inclusion. Well, when we then see the positive impact that actually has in that connection that we build in the classroom, why would that not engage in different, you know, the people are different to me while now they engage in a conversation to also learn. So I think, I think, you know, you, you kind of then take took it into this narrative of and I think I, I, I like what Lena said around that student experience, because once again, that's something that I work in, which is, building or doing the right thing benefits everyone it benefits students it benefits staff and it benefits the institution and if all three are then satisfied guess what then happens it benefits the community because students leave understanding what being a citizen is all about what allyship really is about they then take that into the workplace they challenge the stuff they see in their workplace now another another organization is touched to change just because a student from DME said hey that's not good because this is what I learned when I hang out with my classroom. So actually, talking about that engagement and getting students to actually, you know, be allies of each other in the classroom is actually important to having that end goal. You know, which kind of links to some of the points that you guys then said around how do we then embed this into the curriculum and into our structure. You know, and I think I love how you know you guys kind of really just said, look, enough talking. You know, there's we've been talking about this dilly dallying and crawling out. It's time to run and run it well and actually be serious about running. And something that's come out quite clearly in the work we've been doing with decolonizing DMU is that actually and I can't be voicing this quite strongly. You can't change and lift behavior with policy, you know, you can you, you can actually change it with values. That's where the, the 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 rule thing is at. you know, you can't you also can't, um, um, you know, bring to life. I can't I can't explain how I feel after I faced racism with policy. I can't explain to you why I'm offended with policy. But I can tell you with value, actually, I've, I felt unappreciated because of this racial encounter I had. So actually, by making it value based elements to it, you can then also see when it's wrong and actually be able to talk about it when you've been affected. You know, so that's the elements that, you know, we don't spoke about the the element of taking it to the classroom. You know, as once we going back to the point, if students then are not having the conversation, well, how are they changed? And one thing that I'm quite proud about is, you know, the workshop that I did with the HRM, um, um, final years, um, um, Beth, that is something that we're trying to actually make a part of this wider DMU curriculum, you know, and actually that's just one component. Once you have a discussion about it, as you guys pointed out, maybe then write a reflective piece of how you then, what did you learn, what does that mean for you going forward, and then potentially doing some projects after that, with respect to how you as an individual, you know, come through that. And I think as we do the, this hands-on, you know, you know, uh, um, delicate work to actually show, as Malfoy said, you know, do you actually care? Or do we just, just look like we're doing the right thing? You know, it's taking things to students and engaging in it. And then the final point is around the real, The real block to success with this work is actually that fear part of people being afraid to to say the wrong thing. or actually be corrected now. said I've said some wrong things in my life. I'm going to admit it. But actually, thankfully, I said it in an environment where people around me, you know, cared enough to say, hey, Derek, that's not how it goes. Does that make sense and actually when you then create that inclusion and community guess what happens no one's afraid because actually they want to learn because by learning you gain knowledge you didn't know before which helps in your next step so i think everything kind of links quite nicely that by being open to being an ally you know and having those conversations building those connections being authentically honest about inclusion not just diversity well, you end up building a community of, 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 of a body of students who are willing to ensure actually everyone is involved you know and actually everyone can be corrected you know and i think that's that's the other side of it that when i do make a mistake no please i'm you have the i'm giving you the right to let me know because i also want to learn is the other side of that that and as, as i've written here some of these these ideas that you know we can encourage a more unified university with respect to taking it seriously And understanding the greater good not just for DMU but for society equally as we move forward so yeah guys some some brilliant some brilliant insight that um, um, I guess yeah I'm taking forward and equally motivated by your passion and your words. Okay
1: thank you Derek Uh, I mean I can only reiterate uh, what you've said about the valuable things that have been spoken about tonight and how it's motivated uh, myself to actually want to do something and, and be um, a bit more know, headstrong in in making change. Um, I mean, uh, what I'm hoping we can take from this is I know a lot has been said about we've got to go beyond the talk, but I feel if this could be the start of that race conversation that takes us from those baby steps that have been happening into giant leaps to to move us towards a more inclusive university where everybody feels they can achieve would be you know one of the my dreams to come from the meeting tonight I mean, I would like to say thank you very much to all of you for giving up your time this evening uh, to come and talk to me about this, because it has been absolutely wonderful to listen to you and has been awe-inspiring in what you've said. And I'm sure it's things that we can move forward with, Derek, and we can put our heads together on this one. So I'd like to say uh, thank you very much, Murphia, Julia, Joe. Lena, Jemima, and yourself, Derek. And I'm hoping that people that listen to this podcast will take as much with them as I have tonight. Thank you very much.